Welcome to the sermon podcast of Grace Presbyterian Church. For more information about our church, please visit our website, gracechurchlaunceston.com. So have you ever had a moment when, uh, when something happened that was actually better than you thought it would be? Have you had, ever had one of those moments? Uh, when you, something you hoped for actually turned out better? Um, something turned out way better than you expected. Maybe it was when you caught the fish of a lifetime. Um, now I like fishing, but I rarely catch any fish. So that makes me a poor fisherman, doesn't it? Lots of trips out there. But maybe one day you pull up that monster from the depths. Maybe it's a trip overseas, uh, one of those places you really wanted to go to, and that trip that you planned for so long turned out a lot better than you hoped. Or maybe you landed that dream job, the one you thought you'd put in the application for, but you thought, no, I'll just put it in there, see what happens. I don't expect to get it, but then you do get it. Or maybe it's a birthday. We've had lots of birthdays in our family. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, it's a better book than you hoped it would be. Absolutely. If you're reading a book and it turns out to be a fantastic story, even better than you hoped it would be, something like that. Or more on your birthday, a better cake than you thought would come out of the oven. Something like that. But for all those amazing moments in life, the best of times, you might think, the best of times when something so incredible happens that you barely believe it, for all those moments in life, there are also the worst of times, aren't there? There are also the worst of times, those moments, um, those good moments can seem like a distant memory. And this is kind of the experience of this psalm, I think, today. So in Psalm 126, we have the best of times and the worst of times. This is the kind of experience that this psalm is, is bringing out in the text here today. When all wildest dreams come true, but... Those times were just a memory. And God's people are hoping for those times to happen again. Maybe this is you today. Maybe you look back at the best of times in your own life. Maybe the past is full of fond memories, but today life is not what you hoped it would be. So the good news of this psalm is that for us as Christians, people who believe in Jesus, if you're a believer in Jesus as your Lord and Saviour here today, for the Christian there can be joy for us in both the best and the worst. We can have joy at what the Lord has done in the past. We can pray for the present reality that we're in. And we can hope in God's promises for the future. And there are our three points this afternoon. Joy for the past. Prayer for the present and hope in God's promises for the future. And so as we get into it today, um, just so we know, we're in the Songs of Ascents, these Psalms. 126 is a Song of Ascent. Um, that, that little font at the top is part of the inspired Word of God. God be part of the Bible. And they're a collection of Psalms for spiritual pilgrims who are travelling up towards Jerusalem to worship God. They're going up to one of the festivals of God's old covenant people, Israel. And these songs, they kind of mirror the experience that uh, the pilgrims are going through on their journey. And now they're in the city itself. This is where we are in the context 
of these songs of ascents. They're in the city of Jerusalem. And they look around at the city and they get a sense of what God has done for them across many centuries. Jerusalem, you see, has been the setting for so many uh, wonderful works of God. And I suspect this psalm is something like uh, what we might feel when we go on holiday to a place, um, to maybe a new place. You want to go to check out the history of the place. You might want to go to a museum, the art gallery, get a bit of culture. You might go to the castle if you're in Europe or some historic site. Now, a couple of weeks ago, my family, we went to Swansea on the East Coast. It's a very old town. And I had a photo taken at the grave of a Presbyterian minister, uh, the Reverend Thomas Dove. Uh, Mr. Dove was a church planter on the east coast of Tasmania, and he even has a mountain named after him in Freycinet. And this psalm here is, is like looking back at what God has done, the history of God's people, and he's reflecting here, the psalm writer is reflecting here what God has done for them across the centuries. And what does it do for him? It brings him great joy. It brings him great joy at what the Lord has done. Verse 1, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. Our first point today is that we can have joy because of what God has done for us. We can have joy because of what God has done for us. The psalm writer looks back at their history and he has a smile on his face. You know, someone once said that if a Christian hasn't anything to laugh about, nobody has anything to laugh about. This psalm, most commentators believe, was written about the time when the exiles were brought back from Babylon to Jerusalem. Babylon had invaded uh, Israel and Judah and taken, taken them into captivity. Imagine being taken from your home. Imagine what they'd experienced, the violence. And yet this is what God said would happen, for they had sinned against the Lord, they had turned to worship idols, other gods, they would not repent. But the Lord had not punished his people forever. He had mercy on them, and he brought them back to their homeland. Seventy years later, he had mercy on them. In the words of our psalm, the Lord restored their fortunes. Just imagine the look on their faces when the news came where, that they could return. Imagine that. The tears maybe in, in grandpa's eyes as he remembered his childhood, the home he had in Jerusalem that was lost. Imagine the children thinking about, well, they've, they've probably heard of this place before Jerusalem. Imagine what they, the stories they would have heard and now they're actually going there. Imagine that. It would have felt for the, the exiles like a vain hope returning to their homeland. And yet, what had God done for them? It actually came true. The Lord restored their fortunes and what joy they would have felt. It would have been like verse 1 of the psalm. Those who dream. Those who dream. It was overwhelming. It was like a, their wildest dreams had come true. and It kind of felt like a dream, really. They were living in a dream. Verse 2, they were laughing. They were filled with laughter. Now, I'm not an overly loud person, uh, but when my football team won the 2018 Grand Final, um, I was living in an apartment block. Seven other apartments around me adjoining heard all about it. 
They, were, um, they heard that the, the eagles had won the final. Um, God's people shout for joy here. And it's interesting here, the nations around them, they see it as well. Have a look there. The nations see, verse 2, they recognise what God has done. It's, uh, it says there, verse 2, Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. You know, as, as Christians, sometimes uh, we get caught up in worrying about how do I talk to my friend, my neighbour about Jesus? How do I share the gospel? How do I evangelise? Uh, by the way, we're going to talk about this this year in gospel training. Um, but how do I speak to people about Christ? Because it never really seems to come up in my conversations or uh, they never really bring it up. But you see, when God does great things, when God does great things, we begin to realise deep down what God has done. When we begin to realise, when the Holy Spirit works the gospel deep into us, he creates a deep-rooted joy. We become filled with joy. When we begin to realise what grace means, the grace of God and Lord Jesus for sinners like us, when we realise the undeserved nature of what salvation is, we're lost and hopeless, dead and helpless, and yet Christ makes us alive in him from death to life, from hell to heaven, from exile to restoration, and that Jesus is the judge and he's lived and died and risen again and is reigning over this universe. God has done great things. And surely, friends, the good news of Jesus, of what God has done in the Lord Jesus Christ, might make even the most dour of Christians, the most serious of Christians, just have a little bit of a smile, surely. So how do I speak about Jesus? Well, it never really seems to come up. Well, a big part of it is, a foundational part of it is being deeply rooted and captivated by what God has done for us. Surely. Having the Spirit change us to see what God has done for undeserved sinners like me and you, if we are captivated by the love of God, then evangelism, sharing Christ with people, might even come a little bit more naturally. And people might see it in us, this joy that we have. Because the Lord has done great things. And so as the psalm writer, uh, he looks back with a smile on his face here. He has this joy in his heart, he then realises there is a continued need for restoration. So he prays verse 4. Verse 4 is this prayer. Uh, and this is our second point. Prayer for the present. It says, verse 4, Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. God's people, you see, had come into a season where they are in need of restoration once more. He'd look back at the past, but then he looks at the present. God had acted in the past to bring them back from exile, and he has joy because of that. And yet in the present, they were undergoing another difficult season. Because when the exiles returned from Babylon back to Jerusalem, it was a small group really, very small, 
Everything was small. They arrived back to a broken city. The walls were on the ground. The temple destroyed. It was hard work. Life was tough. They were probably disappointed. Uh, the old people remember the time, what it was like before, and uh, reality didn't match their expectations. Yes, their dreams may have faded just a bit. So verse 4 is a prayer. And it's, I think, a prayer for continued restoration in the land. Restore our fortunes, it says. Restore us, make us new, change things, Lord. Restore the land to what it once was. And the psalm writer compares God's blessing here, God's restoration, to the streams in the Negev. Now, the Negev is a dry place. It's a, it's a desert in the south of the nation. Um, gets very little rainfall. Now, I think we've got rain forecasts later today. Unfortunately, we have washing on our line. Um, so, hopefully, we get home from church before that happens. But the Negev would go a long time between drinks. A long time. Now, the picture here streams in the Negev is like the water flowing down and filling up the wadis and perhaps you might think of it like Lake Eyre um, in the middle of Australia filling up with water. Um, kids, have you heard of Lake Eyre before? Has anyone here been to Lake Eyre? What's it like? Big? White. White. Sandy. Sandy. White. Just crystal white. Yep, crystal white. It's the biggest salt pan on earth. Yep. And uh, every so often the water comes to Lake Eyre. And what happens when the water comes? Can anyone tell me what happens to the lake? Birds. Life happens. Um, green things grow, don't they? Flowers, grass. Restore us, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. God, oh God, pour out your blessings like water that transforms the desert. Lord, please do what you did before in bringing it when you brought us up from exile. Restore us like that. Restore Jerusalem to what it once was. Please fill it with people, fill it with worshippers, fill it with your blessings. Restore our fortunes. Now, I think there's something for us to learn from this verse as Christians and as a church. We still need this refreshing grace from God. We need God's restorative grace. Because we go through dry seasons as Christians. Um, times when prayer is hard work. Times when we go through a season of messing around with sin when we're worn out, when we're tired, times when we are spiritually dry. Our souls get parched. Maybe it's something in your life that's just wearing you down. Or maybe you look back at, at the good seasons in your life early on, uh, when you first became a Christian maybe, when you began to understand the grace of God in Jesus and you yearn for that sort of experience again. Maybe you look at times of great blessing in the church or in your walk with Christ and when you are full of zeal for the things of God, 
and yet not so much today and you'd much you'd really love it to happen again maybe there's some some spiritual dryness in your walk with the lord maybe you need a bit of rain some refreshment restore our fortunes O lord like streams in the negev pray for renewal pray for spiritual vitality and we all need this constantly this renewing grace of god in our lives i need some green grass to grow lord please pour out your blessings upon me and when god's grace does come it'll be like rain that waters the earth so that brings us to the second actually not the second the third point and so the psalm writer moves from smiling at the past from prayer for their present situation and now to the promises of god for the future Verses 5 and 6. These verses are the assurance that God will answer the prayer of verse 4. Verse 5. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Now, the imagery here, we've gone from the desert to the farm. We're getting agricultural. We're baling hay and all these sorts of things. Uh, now here's some stats for you. Apparently in Australia, on average, farmers sow about 60 to 90 kilograms a week per hectare. I don't know if that's right, but Google said it was. Um, 60 to 90 kilograms a week per hectare is sown. And over this past winter season, the average yield of wheat in Australia was 2.8 metric tonnes per hectare. You see? There's a little bit goes in and a lot comes out. I even get this and I'm not a farmer. The whole point of putting wheat into the ground is to get more at the end. You sow so you can reap. But the thing is, back in the day of this, when this psalm was written, the farmer sowed seed, and it was incredibly risky. It was very risky, maybe even more so than it is today. Because what they put into the ground, that seed, is what your family ate. It's what you depended upon for food. It's what your animals needed to eat, and so on. And like today, of course, there's no guarantee that rain will come. They didn't have the long-range bureau forecasts uh, to, to check out things. There was no guarantee that the locusts wouldn't come and just eat all the green shoots anyway. That's why I think it says here in verse 5 that they were sowing with tears. They were sowing with tears. They were in a hard season, having returned from exile and probably very poor. The older generation had wept for once what was when they saw the land like it was overgrown and unkept, neglected. And so they went into the fields with tears in their eyes. Was this it as they dropped their seed? Was this it? And But the psalm writer is saying you can have confidence in God that even though you are sowing with tears... One day you will return a harvest. And when that harvest comes, there'll be much shouting and rejoicing and joy at what the Lord has given you. An abundant harvest, a great amount of grain, because the Lord is with you and has promised to bless you. You know, these verses here are to teach us about what we often experience as Christians. We often sow with tears or heavy hearts 
We can be in difficult places and seasons in our life. And yet the call of the gospel is to sow, to give up our securities, our circumstances, our very lives into the care of God and to labour for the Lord in his field, even with tears of sorrow. What does Jesus promise in the Sermon on the Mount? What does Jesus promise? That those who mourn will be comforted. Both God's people back then and today, uh, for us there is no shortage of heartaches and headaches and hard things along our spiritual pilgrimage. And yet we are called to sow with the promise of a harvest at the end, with joy. These verses are here to reassure us in our prayers. These verses are here to reassure us in our labours for the Lord Jesus. That when you pray for fruit in your ministry, that God actually will bring about fruit. He will bring the harvest. Now, we often don't see it so much. We often don't know what it looks like or what will happen. There are times when you might labour and toil in gospel ministry or in serving the Lord in some way and there might be little visible evidence of what you have sown. There might be little progress that you can see. But take heart from these verses. The promise is there will be a harvest and and we'll be full of joy at what the Lord has done. We sow with tears. That's our calling and God will bring about the rest. We will reek with joy. And I think this should give us confidence, friends, that everything you do, everything we do, every endeavour, every act of kindness, every good work for the Lord, everything that you do genuinely for Christ, the things that are often unnoticed, these things have eternal significance. Serving Jesus is never a waste of time or a waste of energy or, or resources. And whatever God does and whatever harvest happens, we're undeserved of God's kindness and blessing. So we, we labour and sow in hope and trust that God does and has promised to bring about the harvest. These verses should give us as a church confidence in the progress of the gospel. You know, it's, it's sometimes we get a bit down on these things. We should hope for progress, even in our city, in our work of planting this church, uh, what we're doing together as a church family. We are sowing, we're sowing in getting this church off the ground. Yes, it has difficulties, there are sacrifices we need to make, but what we're doing is sowing together with hope, with confidence that the Lord will bring about a harvest. We pray in hope that it will bear fruit, even for us today, but most certainly in eternity, because there is no waste, no wasted seed. Isaiah 55 says, The word of the Lord will not return to him empty, but will accomplish what he wills for it to do. So, friends, we sow. We sow in hope and in the promise of a harvest of joy. And we can know it for sure because Jesus guarantees the harvest will come. You see, Jesus is the one who sowed with tears. He showed us what it's like to sow with tears. Um, Jesus wept over Jerusalem. We find that in Luke 13. He wept over the city. He longed for them to be brought in. 
He mourned the spiritual state of his people. And Jesus is like the seed. Uh, In the reading from John before, John 12, Jesus speaks about a seed falling to the ground and dying and then producing and growing up and bearing fruit. And in that way, Jesus was speaking about his death. He was speaking about his death there. He was the seed that died, that sprouted up and produced fruit. What Jesus sowed with with tears, he returned with the greatest of harvests, with joy. Just think about it. When Jesus died, everyone abandoned him, didn't they? And what started out with just a seed in the ground, just a few weeks later, tens of thousands of believers in Jerusalem, and even today, more than a billion people around the world, Name the name of Jesus as their Lord. Jesus sowed with tears and he came home, as it were, rejoicing. And he will continue to bring in the harvest until he comes again. The Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. Amen.